This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Dan from Shares. Laura's still sitting on the beach reading her Enid Blyton novels, so our podcast regular Mr. Tom Selby is back again to help make sense of everything to do with money. Hello. Hello. So this week, we've persuaded AJ Bell's fund guru, Ryan Hughes, to talk about how hard it must be to run a China-focused fund amid the coronavirus panic. Hello there. So the new look Just Eat is also on the menu for the podcast as the company returns to the stock market in a slightly different shape. And we're going to chat about people who might be missing out on millions of pounds in unclaimed pension tax relief. Yes, that's my bit. But first up, let's catch up with how the coronavirus has been influencing the market. So Dan, something we talked about Last week, um, are there are there any any updates and what what sort of things should investors oh, be yeah. looking for? So, Shanghai stock market was mm. was closed for just over a week. That reopened and um, everything crashed. It's kind of playing catch up. Um, but actually, the following day, that the market started to rise, and then in the following day after that, the market's rising again. It's quite. Yeah. I think people might be a bit sort of surprised about um, how things are bouncing back. But there isn't actually, you know, we haven't found a solution how to cure coronavirus. Mm. So it's it's interesting to see how, how the markets are working. In the UK, the pound fell because um, Boris Johnson was sort of suggesting hard Brexit again. and mm. um, But that the next day, the same thing happened, bounces back again. And so it's yeah, the markets are behaving slightly differently. But I think the, the, the big story is probably Tesla. Um, the electric car maker okay. who whose shares have more than doubled this year alone. So in one month, you would have doubled your money. Wow. Um, so what's been going on? There's there's sort of improving production volumes, sort of a bit more certainty over earnings. Um, it's also a sign that profits are not that far away for the business. There's also been some very bullish notes from sort of investment bank analysts about how mm. this could be a trillion dollar company quite soon and massive opportunities for it. But um, of course, when, when you have a share that's racing ahead, it, it, it's, it's attracting a lot of attention. So last night, I was having a good look around on the internet. Um, I came across on YouTube, there was a, a person who made an hour and 10 minute video just literally talking about the latest announcement from Tesla. Right. Um, there's well, another video which was- You need was, to find better things to yeah. your emails, yeah. Dan. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> there was a, yeah, another video which showed, um, there's a university student who was made a little video about saying, don't worry about taking out a student loan. You can day trade the stock market during your lessons. God, oh, I, saw, and, I saw that. I saw a yeah. tweet with something along these lines. So it was someone with, sat with a laptop in front of them saying, don't we, and it kind of had a, a tab across things saying, don't worry about your student loan. And then there's the, the lesson going on in the background, in the foreground, she's day trading and obviously giving people the, the sense that you can mm. day trade your way to easy money and, and not have to pay for your education. Dan and I are, are of a particular vintage and this probably <laughs> does take us back maybe 20 years to the technology bubble when yeah. many, many similar things were being said. Mm. It is, I mean, w- when you suddenly see um, mass market stuff like this, you know, tech people talking about trading. And, and I saw someone else saying, if, if you type in how, I can't remember the exact phrase was, it was essentially what, how do I on Google, and it tends to sort of bring up what's the most search for, you know, it's, it's like, how do I make money on Tesla shares? Mm. It's like way up there. Mm. So, um, you know, the, the shares are just racing ahead. But towards the end of the day, um, they suddenly had this big drop. Uh, I don't know, but there's so many people who are betting against this stock mm. um, who 
who would be losing a lot of money yep. um, in a situation when it's shooting upwards. So whilst you, people are being encouraged to trade the markets, just remember it. You know, if you're betting against something using perhaps a spread betting platform, this is not the area for the general public to be playing around in. Yeah. Far too mm. risky, yep. real big risk of losing money. Yep. So, I mean, interestingly, Tesla, you may have seen this market cap to the value of the company is now bigger than VW and General Motors. I know. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. That, yeah. That, I mean, it, it, that is just bizarre, isn't it? I mean, how, you know, think about the heritage of those companies, how many cars they've produced versus how many cars Tesla's produced. It's yep. just, you know, it's, Tesla's just a fraction of that, isn't it? So mm. all about the opportunities, isn't it? So. And you never know when the next tweet's coming either, do you? No. What, what from Elon Musk? <laughs> so, yeah, Elon Musk has a, has a habit of... Um, Saying the wrong thing on Twitter, or I things he's not, could meant say that, I think, not, yeah. not meant to be saying. So let's let's see. I think the, the latest thing is people sort of saying, "Well, the share price is so high, take this opportunity and raise a shed load of money." But because um, I, you know, I presume the company will need masses of it in the future if it wants to keep on its yes, big it expansion. Will. It certainly will. So, yep. um, so yes, I mean, essentially, that's kind of what's been going on um, with the, with the market. But you know, if you look at obviously in China, imagine if you were. Um, a fund manager, and you're trying to run a China-focused fund, um, and Chinese stocks are falling out um, of bed. Um, everyone's a bit worried. So, Ryan, what have you been talking to any of these fund managers? Is, is this the worst place to be sort of running a fund at the moment? Then, yeah, we've certainly talked to a lot of China fund managers over the last couple of weeks. Um, I would say it's the worst place. And mm. funnily enough, when you talk to fund managers, they actually often quite like volatility because volatility presents opportunity mm -hmm. um, as long as you're prepared to invest for the long term. So some of these share prices are being absolutely hammered uh, in the short term as the market you know, typically will overreact uh, when, there, when there is bad news. And so if you're thinking five, ten years out, then some of the managers we're talking to are saying this is presenting some really interesting buying opportunities. Now, you just mentioned at the start around uh, the market fell. So the market fell 8% when it reopened. But the very next day, the Chinese central bank announced that they were pumping in $150 billion of stimulus to the Chinese economy. And then the market rallied further, mm. uh, rallied back. Uh, and then also uh, over the last 24 hours, rumours again that the Chinese central bank will pump more into the economy to try and support what's going, what's going on there. And hence share prices have been rallying on the back of it. So very, very volatile. Man fund managers thinking over the long term. So thinking this pre presents an opportunity for them. And if we look back to SARS, uh, those of you old enough remember back in 2002. Mm, just about, yeah. Uh, yep, SARS uh, happened, and there was a very similar global panic, and market, market sold off. Uh, and it took about nine to 12 months for the whole effect of SARS to move out of market, uh, and then things settled down again. The big difference now is China is more than double the, the weight of the global in the global mm. economy now than it was back in 2002 when SARS struck. So it's a much bigger impact uh, on, on shares and the global economy today. I did see something that China's securities regulator have been urging some fund managers not to sell shares unless they had sort of huge redemptions. I'm just wondering if if you do get to the point where everyone's asking for their money back from these Chinese funds, um, is there a risk that we're going to have another sort of round of suspensions because they can't, fund managers aren't be able to sort of sell things enough to raise enough liquidity? Or? No, I, I, let, let's remember. So most China exposure comes through the likes of Hong Kong. Uh, which is, and these are huge companies. You know, many, many of these companies would 
come into the FTSE 100 comfortably and, and be at the top end of the FTSE 100. So these are often large, liquid companies. Also, what happens in the Chinese market is they do have, when things get incredibly volatile and share prices are falling rapidly, China has uh, the, the cut-off switch. It basically pulls the plug on the stock market so that share prices can't go down anymore. So, of course, that does stop trading. Um, and, yeah, that might not be a good thing. But, yeah, in essence, these are very large liquid companies uh, and the Chinese authorities want to make sure that the economy is underpinned and that the market continues to function properly. And I think you can see in their actions of pumping so much into the economy that they fully will do everything they can to make that happen. So I was looking at a couple of sort of sectors that might be um, particularly hit. I mean, the, the most obvious ones would be sort of leisure, so your, your hotels, yep. your tour operators and stuff. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a presentation by another fund, um, and they were talking about this Trip.com, which is this big Chinese sort of tour operator. Um, a huge opportunity because lots of people traveling internally in China um, for holidays. I, I imagine... You know, if you were a fund holding a stock like that, you'd have to really hold your nerve to be able to think, oh, you know, should I just trim my position? Or um, how long would it take for something like that to bounce back? Because it seems to be, you get lots of stories about this, you know, ghost towns in China because people are sort of um, told to sort of stay in their homes yep. and not travelling. So there's clearly going to be an effect, isn't there? Yeah, there, there is. I mean, I, I would hope that the behaviour of the professional investor is that they don't fall into the same behavioural traps that so many other people do, which is fear and greed mm. and panicking and selling out at exactly the, the worst time. I think the whole reason why you invest in a fund and have a professional fund manager running it is so that they don't make those mistakes and they can genuinely think about the long term. But let's be honest, if any listeners today that have got exposure to China, well, when you bought your exposure to China, you should have known and probably will have known that it's likely to be volatile. Uh, and that they can fall sharply as well as rise rapidly. So I think, yeah, this is slightly exacerbated normal market behaviour, uh, but it's important to understand why you invest, why you bought it, uh, and make sure that you can accept the volatility that comes with yeah. it. It, feel, it, feel, it feels like a very difficult time to be making any decisions at all in relation to China. So as you, as you mentioned, uh, a fund manager in China, non-surprisingly, said talk about this as being um, a buying opportunity. I guess a cynic might say, well, yes, they would say that because they're in China and they're trying to get people to invest their money. But it, it, it seems to me like if you are either trying to buy or sell, given that we don't know when a cure will come forward or how effective that will be, making any kind of decision in one way or, or another at the moment would seem like a, a pretty big risk, wouldn't it? It is It is a risk, but let's remember Warren Buffett, who says, be, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. Um, and if if you're investing in China, you should be taking a 10-year mm. view, yeah, really, as, 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 a, as a minimum. Uh, and therefore, yeah, do we think in 10 years' time, the Chinese economy will be yeah. a much larger part of the global economy or a much smaller part of the global economy. So I think if we if we get away from looking at yeah, the, yeah. the minutiae of the detail and think about the big picture again, then I think you're in a much better position to make investment decisions. Mm. So I think it's probably just one final point on that. It, it, people might have exposure to China, which they may not be aware of, which would be through... Um, if you've got a tracker fund for emerging markets, I would suggest all the big indices have got 
about 15% or thereabouts of exposure to China. Um, so just maybe if you if you're if you think that you are you've got no exposure and you're, and you're not worried, it might be just worth having a look to see what exactly is in your portfolio. It is worth a look. So China and related China, so Hong Kong and so on, makes up about 50% of the Asia benchmark and 50% of the emerging market benchmark. So if you've got exposure to both Asian funds or trackers and emerging market funds or trackers, you will have quite a bit of exposure okay, to so China and China-related. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. it is worth looking. Make sure you understand what you've got mm. uh, and understand your exposure and do your research and ensure you're comfortable with it. Okay, so back on the London stock market, Dan, you've been looking at Just Eat, which has come back after a big takeover. So what's changed with the company? Well, they've been gobbled up. Ho-ho. Oh, very clever. Um, by the big book. <laughs> now, I thought we were going to do, did somebody say just eat? No. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, we've, we've missed the opportunity. I mean, that's just an advert. <laughs> so takeaway.com has, has bought Just Eat. Mm. So Just Eat shares have disappeared very briefly from the stock market and they're back now as this enlarged business. Um, essentially, what you've got is exposure to the UK, Canada, Germany, Netherlands. It's, it's it's just a bigger version of what Just Eat was, mm. um, with a bit more sort of represented overseas. But the problems are still the same. So if you take a sort of step back, Just Eat was doing spectacularly well, uh, providing sort of the platform for restaurants to mm. be able to take online orders. Um, competition then got quite intense from other people like Deliveroo, who they had a delivery network. So this is what Just Eat was missing. So Just Eat came out and said, right, okay, we'll have to invest loads of money in so we've got our own sort of delivery drivers or the capacity to be able to deliver stuff. Um, and so what you saw was growth was slowing, lots of competition in this sort of area. We, we all kind of like to, I certainly, everyone I know likes to order takeaways fairly re- fre- you know, frequently. Um, and you're rather than simply sort of calling up your local mm. um, whatever's on the, the nearest street to you, that's sort of perhaps a, an Indian or a Chinese sort of restaurant to deliver it to you. you you've got a great choice now, in say, in a sort of a two or three mile radius. Um, yeah, so competition got really big and then they were struggling a bit. So the share price was falling and you had a couple of companies look at it. So um, Process did a sort of offer, try to get in on this bid battle to buy Just Eat, but takeaway.com won. Um, now now they're on the stock market and so they they have to sort of get over this problem. There's loads of competition. So what, what do you do? They have to invest low, lots of money mm. into trying to improve this delivery sort of network. So Tom, who's your who's your sort of delivery platform oh. of choice? Well, so it, 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 used to be, it used to be Just Eat and then I think in the period where they disappeared off people's radars at some point unbeknownst to me i switched to deliveroo and i don't remember how it happened or why it happened yeah but that is the reality i would say i mean, I would i'd say i use them about once a week something like that for like wow. saturday saturday takeaway something like something on you those lines hardcore follower is that hardcore well, I've, I I've, I've seen i've seen stories of people who are spending a grand a month or something like that on deliveroo orders People, right, I mean, people, and it's because it's so easily available on your phone now. Like you say, you used to have to pick up a phone, ring the takeaway order, drive down. Sometimes I walk down if it's close enough, pick it up, and come back. There were enough barriers in the way that meant that you had to think about doing it. Whereas I think nowadays, because you've got the app on your phone, people will get home, maybe had a couple of drinks after work or something like that, and just go, <laughs> "Oh, just press, it doesn't even feel like you're spending money. Just press, press the button." 
get your Deliveroo, get your Just Eat. I'm sure other platforms are available as well. Ryan, are you shocked by this behaviour? Well, I'm shocked because I might be the only person that's never used Just Eat or Deliveroo. Uh, wow. Is, that, is it available where you live? <laughs> it is available where okay. I live, albeit uh, given how hilly it is where I live. The yeah. Deliveroo dry, uh, cyclist man has yeah. got, I think it's got thighs like Chris Hoy. Uh, <laughs> and it's, the chance of it being hot when it gets to me is pretty slim. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't saying you'd say that to take the mic either. So in Kendall, where I'm from, there's no, there's no Deliveroo is not, yeah. is not a thing. Um, I guess well, well there are actually quite a lot of restaurants but just not a, not a big enough population of people who would use it I suspect yeah well, I, I saw some sort of analysis into trends and younger people have no loyalty to Just Eat as a platform mm. they are like you said Tom they're, they're all going to deliver Uber Eats as well so um, so this is a problem that you know that the enlarged Just Eat business now it's got to try and how, how can it get customers to stay loyal mm. to its platform, um, and it's also just before this this sort of um, reemergence on the stock market happened. The Competition's Markets Authority came along and said, "Hang on a minute, I think we better have a look at this merger takeover deal." So there's that's bubbling away in the background. You know, there's a potential it might all fall apart again because the, the CMA is already looking at. Um, Amazon's plans to invest in Deliveroo. Mm. Um, and what they're particularly worried about is this um, ultra-fast grocery market. So the, so Deliveroo has been um, working on some sort of deliveries where it will t- within half an hour of you ordering it, it could get you the food from... And it's sort of we're tapping sort of local convenience stores like Co-op or something to, to be able to do this. Now... Um, Amazon has been tying up with Morrison's to be able to do this really fast stuff. So it, it, essentially, if, if Amazon invests in Deliveroo and you sort of maybe think, where's that, le- you know, is that sort of the first step towards owning a, a greater part of it? Um, would it then sort of dom- those two businesses dominate this ultra fast mm. stuff? So um, it, it's it's quite interesting. I mean, the, the idea of ordering something and wanting your groceries an hour later. I mean, do do we really need to be that impatient? I don't no, know. No, but I think we are that lazy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's entirely possible. Also, we're back in the world of drone delivery. I mean, what chance of my poppadoms not being <laughs> smashed to pieces <laughs> when the drone drops it drops it over my front gate? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'd say reasonable, reasonable chance. Because you, you, you know, certainly the street where I live, every day there's a selection of different brands for supermarkets delivering mm. the food to people's houses. Um, I guess you know that seems to make sense because you could probably get I don't know five or six different people's orders um, on the same truck. Um, but when you're delivering some food, say you're d- from your local McDonald's, it's only going to be mm. that one order. Um, it, it, you know, is it is it adding up? There is a suggestion, there's a forecast from analysts that Just Eat is currently for its delivery stuff is losing nine pounds an order. Wow, I know, but because it, it thinks it, a, a driver could do just like maybe one and a half average deliveries um, an hour, but mm. you're paying them twelve pounds an hour anyway to do it, and it's yeah. so. So it, it, I don't know. It, it is as a business model providing the platform to let restaurants take online orders clearly worked and just eat made loads of money mm. the delivery bit is is a bit more complicated so will they have to deliver more things than just um, mm. food and th- I'm thinking about just eat if you go back 18 months it had a market cap bigger than M&S and Morrison's yeah. wow. uh, just for delivering people's Saturday night takeaway. It? Yeah. I mean, it, is, it shows how the market can can very much fall in love with an idea, and they can, as we were talking about Tesla earlier, can really drive the price high very quickly. Yeah. I remember when I was at university, we used to talk about like, wouldn't it be amazing if someone could deliver us a crate of beer <laughs> and some chocolate biscuits or something without us having to leave the room? Well, I I I I I, I would would like to lay claim to inventing the <laughs> earliest form of delivery for my for my brother. So when I when. Uh, 
when we were back home and he'd been out, he'd been, he was three years older than me, so he'd have been on a night out down Passions Nightclub or whatever. He's hungover at home. <laughs> it's about uh, two, three o'clock in the afternoon and he desperately wanted a McDonald's. So I would bike down to the McDonald's, pick it up for him and then bike up and I'd, I'd either get a free cheeseburger or like two quid or something off him. Ne- never never patented it. Never oh. took, I could have... I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been sat here. What would you? What would? Oh, you could have had you know, t- Tom eat or or just just Tom or just something. Tom. <laughs> just Tom. Uh, no. no. Yeah, no, it would never have worked. No, that's right. <laughs> so close, yeah, so far. <laughs> so on to another topic. I read in the article in the paper about how savers could be missing out on eight hundred and thirty million pounds in unclaimed tax relief pensions Thomas is true actually it must be true because I saw you being quoted (laughs) (laughs) that does not mean it is necessarily true Dan and you know that Um, so the figures are based on estimates but essentially the story is uh, around people in certain types of pension schemes who are higher or additional rate taxpayers who are owed more tax relief than basic rate taxpayers aren't doing what they need to do to get that money back so if you're in a certain type of pension scheme, so uh, what's called a net pay pension scheme. So that's where your pension contribution is taken out of your salary immediately. So before the tax is taken out, so you get any tax relief you're owed automatically, then you don't need to do anything. There is an issue for really low earners in those types of schemes, because if you're earning below the 20% income tax ban, so below £12,500, then you're not getting your tax relief at all because of the way, because it's taken automatically off your salary. And so there's a separate issue there. But if you're in one of these net pay schemes, then it's fine. You don't need to go to HMRC and claim your tax relief back. But if you're in what's called a relief at source scheme, so that's like a SIP, for example, or some, uh, some, some workplace schemes of what's called group personal pensions, then you'll only get basic rate tax relief, so 20% added on automatically and so it's up to you then to go to HMRC through your self-assessment tax return you need to write to them fill fill in the forms and claim back either your 20% or 25% and so what this article is showing is that lots and lots of people who are owed that extra money and it's essentially free money it's the incentive that you get for saving into it for saving into a pension for deferring your uh, taking your income until at at least age 55 people aren't doing that I think one of the big reasons why we've seen this and there's been a bit a, a, a slight increase I think in recent years in, in this happening in this happening is partly because of automatic enrollment so people have been put into pension schemes and they've never had to go through this process of filling a self-assessment out before um, but I think the key message for people here is that make sure you know what type of pension scheme you're in and make sure you're getting all the free money that you should be getting for saving in a pension because this is yours and there's just a few forms that you need to fill out in order to get that money back and it can be substantial for some mm. people if you're an additional rate taxpayer additional rate taxpayer or a higher rate taxpayer you could be talking about hundreds or even even thousands of pounds a year here that you should be getting back so it's just worth either speaking to your scheme if you haven't spoken to your scheme about this um, checking checking the rules speaking to your financial advisor obviously if you have a financial advisor and hopefully this will be um, this will be sorted out for you. But it, it just just goes to show that people are committing their money into something like a pension, so they can't spend it now. And because people aren't always as engaged as they should be, they're not getting the biggest bang for the book that is that is possible. Is there not an obligation for the HMRC to sort of give you a little prompt to say there's this money? I'm afraid not. No. no, no. And there's also so the 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 good thing is is if you have forgotten for some years, then you can go back and amend yourself 
assessment tax returns. So, for example, if you hadn't claimed additional relief for the, relief for the previous tax year, you can submit an amended self-assessment return up to a year after the usual self-assessment deadline and still claim that tax relief back. So, for example, up to you've got up until the 31st of January 2020, so that's just gone to claim back for the 2017-18 tax year. So the next opportunity, you've got up to the 31st of January 2021 for the 2018-19 tax year. Now, if you're claiming back for up to four years, so per, for previous to those years, then you might need to ring HMRC or even send them a letter, quite old-fashioned, but write to HMRC and explain that you think you're missing out on tax relief. And as long as it's within the last four years, you should get it back, even if it's for before that. I think this is one of those things that people don't tend they don't, they don't tend to speak to their providers, speak to HMRC to try and get money back because they just don't think it will work. Actually, if you've got the time, it might be a bit of a pain, but give HMRC a phone call and just say, look, even if it, even if it's been ten years and you feel like you've just you've just missed this off, you've you know for whatever reason you've got loads of other paperwork, you're dealing with your mortgage and you just haven't got round to claiming back your tax relief. No guarantee that you'll get it back for some of the years are always worth giving them a call just to see because that is money that you have earned for saving in a pension and if you can get it back then it could be a serious boost i did see on social media this week mm. two different people say what a pleasant experience they had with hmrc on the phone you don't, you don't often see people praising um, call centers and that's um, the two people that got through <laughs> yeah <laughs> well I think that, that is usually the thing with hmrc the times I, I, I've not had to ring, have calls to ring HMRC that many times in my life. But whenever I have been able to get through, the people on the end of the phone are good. Um, it's been a couple of years, I think, since I've had to phone HMRC now. I'm not sure. I think you may have an app now and things. I think it's, they are slowly but surely moving into the yep. 21st. The online experience is much better as well. Yeah, it is a lot easier to do these things. Again, yeah, you can do your self-assessments online now. You can do them by paper. You can do them over the phone if you need to. So there's different ways that you can do this stuff, and it is getting easier and I suspect actually a lot of people will have been put off by an experience that they might have had trying to deal with HMRC 10 years ago and so might not have wanted to get around to do it again because it was just such a nightmare but actually things have moved on a bit not as good as nothing's ever as good as you would ideally want it to be but if you can get through if you can spend it might be an hour of your time going through this trying to get on get on the phone to them then it could well be worth your while very good so just before we go i did want to just quickly talk about how it's valentine's day coming up soon mm. and tom is the sort of the big romantic person <laughs> amongst the team he's getting where's he's, that come from well he was talking <laughs> doesn't about, say a lot about the rest of us yeah, no, it really <laughs> doesn't <laughs> he, he was talking about taking out um use resolutions to have um an isa with his with his his fiance now and obviously tom's now getting married soon yeah. so um have you bought the ring? Because there's signs that diamond prices are on the turn and starting to go up. So I yeah. wanted to make sure so, so, that now is your opportunity. If you if you haven't got a ring, yeah. you need to get it soon. So, so thanks for looking out for me, first That's of right. all. Uh, <laughs> so yes, yes, I've got the ring. So I was uh, lucky enough to be the one who got proposed to. And so oh. that was doubly nice because obviously it's nice just to get proposed to. And B, it meant that I, I got to go with my fiancé to the shop to pick out the ring. So I didn't have to go through the stress of trying to because I, I find picking out ring it's a bit like shoes and bags and various other things I, ju I can't see the difference between one and the other so I would have <laughs> definitely got it wrong on to diamond prices uh, it went for an emerald oh. a massive green emerald it's incredibly garish 
Very nice. Yeah. This is good. Well, I was I just reading some stuff from some of the diamond producers. They've had yeah. a terrible time with um, how prices have been falling, but there was sort of, there's some glimmer that they're on the turn. But I also came across this thing about synthetic diamonds, so, oh, yes, so yeah. lab-grown ones. Um, so De Beers has historically been sort of quite against all this, obviously being one of the big mm. diamond producers and wants kind of wants you to, to buy the real thing. Um, so what it's, it finally gave in a couple of years ago um, and said, OK, we'll, we'll start doing this lab grown stuff. Um, and it sort of deliberately started to sell them at very low, much lower than mm. normal prices. So um I've got some stats up my sleeve somewhere. Here we are. So you're going to pull a diamond out. Yeah. <laughs> so, so in May 2018, uh, a, a sort of a mined one carat um, diamond will go for about six thousand um, pounds. What per carat? A synthetic one would be about four thousand two hundred. But um, if you fast forward to the end of that year, De Beers was selling them for eight hundred dollars. So it really cut. Basically, what it wants trying to do is push the price yeah. of synthetic diamonds down. So there's this big gap between the real thing and the kind of the synthetic one. Um, and but they're, it, I, they're exactly the same, aren't they, in terms of their structure? Is that right? I'm not an expert no. on synthetic diamonds. If I take you back to my geology A-level, yes. which I was very bad at, it's okay. essentially <laughs> just carbon that's been put under great pressure. Yeah. So if you can do that in the lab, then you'll get it. But to burst your bubble about size, size is not important when it comes to jewels. It's luster and clarity. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, my only source of information was a I would say an Essex wide boy not not Ryan <laughs> um, yeah. uh, another one there's another the, one out there at the jewellery shop he was a very nice yeah. man and he was giving me some uh, slightly half-baked science on on the two but I think he, yeah. he his he said that they were they were basically exactly the same the lab grown <laughs> versus the mine well make sure ones. you make sure you bought the real one because if you sort of in 10 years time you think okay I've got I've, I've put money into this and it's worth loads um, the way things going, synthetic diamonds might be worth considerably less yeah. uh, than even what you pay now. So, Okay, thanks a lot for listening this week. All of our older podcasts are available online if you want to spend every waking hour listening to our dulcet tones. I know that that's what Ryan likes to do. Um, please check them out as well as subscribing to this podcast so you get alerts when new episodes are available. Thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Thanks. Thanks very much. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.